Welcome to The Last Geek in Space. This issue, Masters of Comics, Asterix the Goal, How to Arrange a Comic Convention, and the editor of Tripwire Magazine, Joel Meadows. Hi, and um, welcome to the latest episode of The Last Geek in Space. Today's guest is Joel Meadows, um, editor of Tritwell and mastermind behind the uh, Masters of Comics book. Uh, we're going to send him into space with nothing but magazines and artwork for company. And then we're going to have a little chat about what he'll take with him into space as he goes into splendid isolation, as if that would ever happen in the real world, you know. Um, and we're going to go right back to the first thing we'll let you take with you is the first comic that ever meant something to you. Well, I guess um, I was a DC reader when I was a kid, and one of the first comics I read was a New Teen Titans issue two by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. It had a huge impact on me. I remember following that series for many, many years and just being blown away by it. I was about eight years old, and 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 it. I guess it still stays with me. And I've been rereading the trades, and and it still holds up as one of the best modern superhero comics. Oh, it's fantastic! Did you see the Titans TV show? I did. I thought it was. I thought it was. It wasn't bad. I think the. For me, I had, I didn't see any of the second season. The first season, I thought the strongest episode was the Doom Patrol one, actually, because it was quite quirky, and I thought sure. it captured the, the feel of the characters. The second season was far more in the feel of the classic Wolf movie. Oh, really? I'll, I'll have to yeah. check it out. I will have to check it right out. Right down to, you know, spoilers, but the whole Nightwing storyline, you know. Was, yes, yeah, of course. Was, uh, that's a fantastic issue. Yes. Now, we first met, about 30 years ago when I was at Marvel UK and you were first launching Tripwire. Um, I think you might have talked to myself and Simon Jowett when we were doing our failed Voidy Rage <laughs> comic and Blood yes, and all yes, that stuff. Yes, yes, um, yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how Tripwire came about? Yes, of course. Um, I started doing it with an ex-neighbour of mine because there were no interesting comic magazines out there. We'd had Speakeasy prior to that, but that had ended at the great newspaper format Speakeasy and then it moved into the magazine and sadly they stopped publishing. So we started it with comics and music, um, and then in 99, we dropped the music and we replaced it with film and TV. And, you know, it started life as a fanzine, and it got more and more sophisticated as the years progressed. And, you know, it sort of took it from there, and I honed a lot of my skills. I didn't really know what I was doing. In 92, I managed to insult Pete Milligan oh, wow. with a slightly sucky, with a sucky interview. But I, we, gave him, we gave him right of reply, and he's been fine ever since. But, you know, I was only 19. I mean, we basically launched Tripwire when Vertigo launched in uh, February of 92. So it's a hell of a long time ago. Wow. So um, as we send you into space in splendid isolation, as if yes. that had ever happened in the real world, um, we're also going to give you your favourite all-time comic. Any idea what that would be? I mean, I've been giving this quite a lot of thought. I mean, it, it is diff- difficult to pick one, but if I had to pick one, it would probably be sort of Batman 400, because I remember it had an amazing lineup of artists. You had Bill Sienkiewicz and Brian Bolland and Art Adams and, and George Perez again, and a story by Doug mentioned. It was, just, it was a phenomenal anniversary issue. I remember reading that when I was a kid and thinking, wow, this is still... I mean, it, it, you know, in the 80s, you had these amazing anniversaries. I remember Justice League of America 200. I think it was Superman 400, which had, I think, had a Mobius piece in it, and just Alex Toth and everybody. And I thought Batman 400 was a phenomenal comic, and I still think it is. What was the cover to that? That was a built-in Kevich with the big square right. shoulders. It's a phenomenal yeah. cover as well. I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of the classic Batman yeah. images. Yeah, it's, it's a great comic. It still holds up well, yeah. I think. So, When you're in space, we're going to um, <laughs> actually go back. We'll give you a favourite graphic novel. 
before we go on to strange characters you'll be stuck in space with? Well, I, again, it, it was tough to pick, but probably something like Daredevil Born Again by Frank Miller and David Mazzuchelli, because I thought that really showed what you could do with a comic. You know, Miller's writing was magnificent. Mazzuchelli was amazing. The scene where he meets his mother again, I think it's the end of the first issue. It's just, it's amazing. It's such a, it's got such an emotional resonance. And as I said, it showed what you could do with superheroes at the time. Oh yeah, Miller was outstanding for throughout he was, the he was, he was amazing. His yeah. Daredevil run was something else. It's hard to believe now the change he had on, the impact he had on comics and Daredevil, even on his, you know, his first one when he took over from, um, well, when he introduced Electra in 168, I think. Yes, yes, yes. It was amazing. It was almost instant. But he, him and yeah. him and Cla- when Klaus Janssen took over as artist as well, yeah. that, it took it up another level. I mean, Miller's a great artist, but Janssen is, 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 is a, you know, an artist in his own, you know, an amazing, phenomenal artist as well. Yeah, and you forget now, you know, the whole ninja and the hand and yes. all the stuff that Miller added to the Daredevil mythos. It just didn't exist for the first 20 years of the title, and now it's... No, exactly. He's, uh, he's always fighting ninja these days, falling <laughs> yeah. over them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as you're flying through space, um, it's one of my favourite questions. We get some really strange answers. Yes. Um, we're going to give you the choice of one comic character or fantasy character that you'd like to be stuck on a spaceship with and one that you'd really hate to be stuck on a ship with. Well, I, I've picked two cosmic characters, actually. One is a DC and one is a Marvel uh, the character that I'd be quite happy to be stuck in space with would be a uh, Starfire from the New Teen Titans. So I thought, I thought, I thought that might be fun. Yep. Going, going back to my childhood, and the one I'd least like to be stuck with is something like Thanos, because you can imagine if you upset him, all kinds of horrible repercussions. You know, you'd have to deal with on the ship. If he if he had the stones, of course, the Infinity Gems, then he really he could, he could be he could be in trouble. So I think it might be better, you know, not to be stuck with him. Yeah, just try and make sure he doesn't snap his fingers or something. No, exactly. So um, tell us a bit more about Tripwire and how it's developed over the years. Well, it's changed a lot. It started life as a very primitive fanzine. In fact, the first couple of issues were hand-pasted with uh, with spray mounts, believe it or not. They were cut, you know, the pages were cut together with scissors. And I mean, this is all alien to anybody under the age of 40 who's listening to this. Um, and then we moved on to... I think the, the guy that used to design the magazine used to use an Amiga, and then we switched to the Mac in, a, in the 90s, and it's gone through from Quark Express, um, and then the most recent print version I've been using InDesign, which I use myself. Um, it's, it's changed a hell of a lot. I mean, you know, God, I mean, everything's changed. Comics, yeah, you know, comic movies, were, were, you know, you had, you had the Superman movies in the late 70s, but there was a huge gap when you didn't have them, and so there, there was a period when, you know, it was just comics. There were no comic films. There was no yeah. comic TV. So it was a very different time. Yeah, it's hard to believe now there's a time without you know Marvel movies and superhero movies. Well, no, no, exactly. In fact, there's so many now you're actually bored sometimes. You think, oh God, not another superhero movie. And there is, a, there, there is a lot. There is a hell yeah, of a lot. Yeah. I feel sorry for people who don't like them. Well, I suppose well, they haven't got that much choice. But I, you know. So, um, tell us a bit about the Masters of Comics book because that's something I think's amazing. Well, thank you. I mean, basically, it's a it's a follow up of sorts to the Studio Space book that was done in uh, two thousand and eight, which was a book that we did through Image, which is basically comic artists talking about their studios and talking a bit about the way that they work. So there's photos of their studios. Um, so it took eleven years to come out the second one, but you know we've got everyone in it. We've got Walt Simonson back and Sean Phillips is back. Uh, but the second book we've got Mike Kaluta, P. Craig Russell, Posey Simmons. Lawrence Campbell, Frank Quietly, an amazing lineup of people. So 
I really enjoyed doing it. It was it was a very satisfying book, and it was nice to do a follow up to the first one. Seems you've given the um, artist much more spe- space in the second one. Yeah, that that is that is true. I mean. There weren't enough photos of their studios in the first book, but Insight did a phenomenal job with the the second one. It looks really beautiful. I'm really proud of it. And we got some great studio photos. We got, you know, Eduardo Rizzo in there and Raphael Albuquerque. We got an amazing lineup and a really diverse mix of people, which was important. Yeah. Um, going back to the rocket ship. Yes. Um, interesting you mentioned artists. We're going to give you a page of artwork to take with you. And it can be any page. It doesn't have to be one you have yourself from any point in history. We'll even read Kirby's imaginary collection. I mean, it's, it's, I gave it a lot of thought. Again, this is, this is not a page I have, but it's a page I'd love to have. Basically, from uh, Batman 405, the second part of uh, Batman Year One, on page 13, the page which says, where Batman says, Are you eating Gotham's wealth and its spirit? It's a David Mazzicelli page. Yeah. And it's magnificent. When he, he breaks into the gangster's house, and it's such a wonderfully simple page, but it's so beautiful. The composition is, is exquisite, and, and it, it, it resonates. You know, emotionally, you look at it, you think, Wow, this, you know, Batman is, you know, taking no prisoners here. And, and it's just such a wonderfully simple page, but it has such a huge impact on the reader. And I remember when I first read it, that it had an impact then. And it still does. I just looked at it again. I had the, I've got like a double hardback slipcase edition of Batman Year One here. And I was looking at it thinking, wow, this is still an amazing page. It's yeah. That whole series is just stunning. It is. It's beautiful. It's so simple, but it just, it works. Every aspect. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to pick a, I mean, the whole of that is beautiful. It's the simplicity of it works and the way that the writing works in concert with the art so well. Yeah, definitely. It's one of my all time favorites myself. Um, Might be tied into that, but if you gave <laughs> you a favorite cover, favorite comic book cover to take with you. I mean, that is tough. I had to pick, it was, it was, t- I mean, if you ask me tomorrow, it might be a different cover. Um, If I had to pick one of, it, I guess it would have getting back to Bill Sienkiewicz probably be maybe Electro Assassin issue one because it's such an iconic image and it's just again it's sort of it looks quite simple but when, the more you look at it the more you realise that there's so much going on and its composition is is wonderful and it, it's again a very dynamic image. Sure, that's a great choice. Now, recently you started the Portsmouth Comic Conventions a couple of years ago. How did that come about? Uh, we, we were approached, um, Andy Coleman, who I do the show with, his friend Andy Grace, who runs the Guildhall, started talking to us and said, you know, we've never done a comic convention at the venue, and they, they wanted to do it, and so they started chatting to us, and we sort of got the ball rolling, and 2017, we got Walt Louis Simonson, and we got Gene Haar, and um, Cully Ham, we got an amazing lineup, and so we did a, a follow-up in 2018 with Liam Sharp, and Steve Englehart, and Roy Thomas, and it just it sort of snowballed since then. It's a great convention. I think it's one of the best in the UK up there with Thought Bubble. And I've not been to Kendall, but I've heard good things about that. That's a great lineup. And well, thank you. As well. Yes. It's one of the closest to the old UCACs in a way. Well, that was the intention, kind of. UCAC meets Bristol. I guess that was the intention of what we tried to recreate. So, as you're flying through space, <laughs> yes. um, you've got a geek related object to take with you. Yes. I mean, this is a very simple thing, actually. Um, a few months ago, I bought a Getafix Asterix keyring from Gosh for my, for my car key. And, I, and I, I rather like it. I mean, again, it's simple. It's just a sort of piece of plastic. But I do, because Asterix, I loved Asterix as a kid. I remember reading uh, the books when I, was, when I was quite little. It's quite nice to have something that reminds me of these wonderful books, which I was thinking about re, kind of reinvesting. Because I don't have a set anymore. I used to have a set of all of the Asterix books I don't have anymore. And, and it's a very simple object, but it, I still really like it. I mean, you know, so I'd be happy to have that on the spaceship. I can understand that. 
I, it's funny how comic creators seem to fall between Asterix fans and Tintin fans. Yes. And I'm definitely on the Asterix side of that equation. I mean, Tintin was all right. Yeah. Asterix had just... I'm, I'm, I'm writing an Azizo tribute for the Tripwire website at the moment, which will be up hopefully in the next day or so. So just it's made me sort of think again about about my connection with Asterix. And it was such a wonderful series. And and Goshini and Azizo, they were so amazingly talented as creators. Just, and, of course, the translators people forget about... Uh, about Hockring and, and Bell, they, the English translations, they were wonderful. They were really just incredibly expressive. And also some of the best, well, like I said, some of the best translation ever in the way they developed. Exactly. And the, the, and the voices of, of the characters, I know they, they, yeah. they, they introduced a lot of amazing dramatic stuff, which made it work really well in English. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to music as well. Most people in comics have a big connection to music, but we're only going to let you take one song with you into <laughs> space. Which is hard, I think, for most people. But is there one song you could take? I did pick one. I mean, it, it's not easy. The song I picked was "Give Me Shelter" by the Rolling Stones because I thought it's such a wonderfully atmospheric song. I mean, I could I could pick another twenty or thirty probably, but if I had to pick one, I'd be quite happy with that. Quite handy when you're flying through space as well, from planet to planet. You could send it out as a, you know, in, please let me have some shelter. Oh, well, well, exactly. It would be quite handy. And um, how about books? Um, well, I guess the, the book the, the book choice that I made is a book that I read when I was at school, actually. And it's a book which has stayed with me, which is Brighton Rock by Graham Greene. I mean, the film by, um, you know, by the Bolting Brothers with Richard Attenborough is, is, is amazing as well. So I think it's a very evocative book. It talks about Brighton in the in the 40s. And, and it, again, it's Greene's amazing characterization. So it's, it's, it is a great book. And it is a book which has stayed with me, I think. Wow, it's a nice choice. Um, oh, thank you. A bit, of a, bit of a grim read for space, though, isn't it? Well, I've always been a little bit dark. And um, we've started giving people movies these days, so uh, yes. you can have a movie as well. Well, in the in the in keeping with my sort of dark character, I would pick the Third Man, oh, wow. which is such a which is such a beautiful film. I mean, it's so amazing, and they had a Blu-ray restored version they brought out about two or three years ago, and it looks even more beautiful than it did before. Just running through Vienna and that wonderful, the, you know, the classic scene with with Wells standing on the, the doorstep with the cat, you know, with the face half in shadow and, and then the run through the sewers. It's, it's such an amazing film. And again, it's, it's just so beautiful. And it's just so simple and, and it works. And the interplay between the characters is, is something else. And again, it's a film which, is, which still stayed with me for years. And if I had to pick one, you know, to be able to watch in space, I think I'd be quite happy with The Third Man. And there's always something you, new you can find when you watch it. Well, exactly. Exactly. I was just reading um, an article about Orson Welles a few weeks ago. I think it was in the 14 Times about um, when he set himself up in Hollywood Boulevard as a psychic. Oh, really? No, I haven't heard that. Um, like a lot of us, he was interested, you know, in that side of life. Didn't believe it, but, you know. No. And he knew a lot of it was a con job and it was cold reading and stuff like that. So he learned to read people. Oh, way, really? You know, tellers do. And then he apparently set himself up one day as a fortune teller I think it was in Hollywood Boulevard, to see how he went. Oh, wow. And he said he had this amazing strike rate. And at the end of the day, yes. this woman came into his sort of studio or whatever, and before she said a word, Orson yeah. Welles said, I'm really sorry for your loss. Wow. And she burst out crying. She'd just lost her husband. And at that moment, Orson Welles said he thought maybe he does have power after all. God, that's amazing. Somebody told me. Then he, yes. then he realized that actually he was conning himself. Oh wow! He was just good at what he did, and he reckons that's what psychics do. You know, I didn't know. But somebody told me that apparently he wore a false nose 
for a lot of his parts, which I which I didn't know. No, I didn't. That's uh, I wonder what happened to the false nose. Well, maybe in a museum, maybe auction somewhere. Now, my favourite question, this one. Yes. Um, she gets some bizarre answers, but as you're rocketing through space, you're going to yes. go through a hole in space and time. Yes. And it's going to send you anywhere you want to go. It can be an historical period. It can be a fantasy realm. It can be um, Titan's Tower. Yes. Whatever you want. So um, where would you like to end up? Well, well this this plugs into my love of history, my love of English history. Um, I think I, if I wanted to pick one, period or one year i would like to see what 1648 was like during the english civil war because i've always been fascinated by that period i remember the episode of history of britain with simon sharma talking about how the civil war drove a wedge between people's families and had one side for the royalists and one side for the parliamentarians i think it'd be fascinating to see what the civil war did to this country because that was the year before they executed charles the first yeah. So to be able to walk around in impunity to see what England was like, I think it would be fascinating. As long as you can be, um, you know, make sure no one chops your head off. Well, no, exactly. As long as you can remain uninjured, of course, walking around. And if you had to take a side? Oh, God, I don't know. They're both, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, the parliamentarians might have meant well, but it all descended rather badly. End ended up being kind of like an emperor in all but name anyway when yeah. you look over. So I think that you, you give people power and I'm afraid it goes straight to their head. Yeah, I agree. And also, when you think about the parties they had when Charles II came back and theatre was restored, which is like, imagine the effect if they said you cannot watch TV for 20 years. No, um, I know. That would be that would be pretty... That's pretty, never going to work, is it? No, not now. You wouldn't be able to do it now. And um, what would you miss about Earth? Um, well, I, I, it's something quite basic. I would, I would probably miss Marmite, because I think it's something that I do eat quite a bit of, and I, I would miss it. It's a simple thing, but... I think yeah. if, I, if I didn't have access to it, I think it would be my life would be uh, would be bereft, or would be would be a lesser lesser existence without it. And I know um, Portsmouth Con's been delayed a little bit because of what's going on. How's plans going, and what else are you working on? Uh, well, there's Portsmouth, as you say, is is coming hopefully now, fifteenth and sixteenth of August. But we're also trying to bring Tripwire back in print. Um, we have an Indiegogo campaign running at the moment. We haven't done a print issue since two thousand eleven, so. We're working on a, a – it will be a one-shot, but hopefully if it works out, we do it as a quarterly. So we're 144 pages. Uh, it would have two covers. One would be a Flash cover because it's 80 years of the Flash done by David Michael. But it will be a once-in-future cover because we've got big Kieran Gillen interviews. So that's 144 pages. Uh, we're currently looking to fund that on Indiegogo, and it's it's ticking over. We, we may not hit our targets. We may have to reschedule, but we're keeping it running until the 11th of May anyway. I mean, obviously things are rather unusual at the moment, but – you know, we're keeping it running and we shall see what happens. But I'm very proud I've gone back to doing design work. We've got you know, an amazing lineup of stuff. We've got Louis Simonson interview, Ram V, as I mentioned, Kieran Gillen, uh, Neil Gaiman feature. We've got a lot of amazing stuff in there. I think Tripwire's sort of become like Britain's answer to um, the Comics Journal almost. Well, a little bit. I mean, not quite as highbrow, but we have got some good stuff. Yeah. Good material in there. So, yeah, so keeping keeping busy, hopefully. Right. Um, anything else? Um, well, there's a couple other things, but... Well, I don't know. I mean, I've gone back to working on a, my detective novel because there's a little bit of downtime. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it's a London detective novel, sort of amnesiac detective novel with a character called The Hanging Man. And that the first book is a sort of scavenger hunt when he has to, has to locate 12 London-related items to, to get this guy to free this young girl that he's kidnapped. So I've, I've gone back to that for the first time in a year. So I'm, I haven't done much work on it as yet at the moment, but I am intending to dive back into that again. And thanks, then. We'll um, 
end it there and uh, hopefully I'll see you in Portsmouth. Indeed, Alan. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me on here. Thank you. That's all right. And um, enjoy your trip into space. Thank you. You've been listening to The Last Geek in Space. Thanks to Joel Meadows for taking part and Paul Morris and Vegetables at last for the music. Last Geek in Space is a Bullpen Productions creation. Check out our website at bullpenproductions.co.uk or my own website at alancouncil.com and buy my books. Step off the land now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I forgot to fucking press record.